on the cusp and off the cuff in Yakima, Washington. I hope I said that right. I'm in the hotel, so not on the bus. I can't do these on the bus. There's too many people. I have to be respectful on there. About once a week, we end up in a hotel room, and uh, I took the opportunity to do this. Tonight, it is Thursday night slash Friday morning, the second week of Johnny Cash, the official concert experience, at least my touring experience with it, is almost finished. We're, we're coming into the weekend here. Uh, tonight we played our first of two shows in this small town called Yakima, which I believe is named after an Indian tribe. A Yakima reservation is around us. So you might hear some trucks riding outside the window here. Maybe the uh, the heat might pop on here in the room. But I just want to get on and update y'all. I feel like these updates are going to get pretty lame as they go because I'm realizing it's almost the same thing every day. But there are some things that happen that are, are things I want to put on here so I can always remember. Um, we did, of course, Folsom last week, which I talked about. That's the last time I did a podcast. From there, we went for the weekend to Costa Mesa, which it turns out is about an hour south of Los Angeles. Now, this Costa Mesa venue, is it's got to be one of the biggest ones I've ever played. I mean, I've, I've played the rodeo down in Arcadia, Florida, which holds more people, and we've we stood in the in the the middle of the rodeo and sang the national anthem. I think there were about four thousand people there that day, so we sang for more people, in at the rodeo. And maybe there's been times in, over the years that we've found ourselves in front of a couple thousand people here and there, different festivals or events. But this show, y'all, I'm telling you, we come into this huge, beautiful. Venue And when I was walking around it on the outside, it looked like Bridgestone Arena in downtown Nashville. It was just so big and so tall. So I go in, and it as big as it looks, it only seats, I think, about 4,000 or maybe 3,000. It's not as – when you get inside, you go, it's huge, but it's, it's just spread out. Like it's not like an arena where everybody's just packed tight, you know what I mean? And they're comfortable seats – Beautiful balconies. I just was blown away by this place. And this happened to be an important show where we have all the the suits are coming to this show. So remember the suits were at the first show. Well, now they're coming to what turns out was going to be the sixth show that I was a part of. Sixth in a row, by the way. So the suits are at this show. And also, I have some friends who are coming to see the show as well. So... I had five people that I've met doing tourism jobs in Nashville. Um, two ladies, Sandy and Natalie. Big shout out to them for coming to the show with uh, their family. I've known them almost, I guess, four and a half years now. Uh, met them on a trip to Memphis years ago when I was their driver. And we've, we've stayed in touch. They followed our music. We've actually, we actually met them years ago in Los Angeles, which is a whole other podcast. As a matter of fact, I do need to tell that story that happened back in 2020. Um, but Sandy and Natalie were there. And then I had gotten a message on Facebook from Patty 
Lori, Tracy, and Rita, four ladies who rode my golf cart on a really cool day. It was the day after Darren and Brooke Aldridge performed my song, Mine and Robin's, that we wrote. It's called Old Fashioned. Uh, my friend Robin, I wrote it with her. And so Darren and Brooke played that song at the Grand Ole Opry. And they told me, you know, hey, we played it tonight. It went over well, and all this is really cool moment that had never happened to me as a songwriter. So the next day, I'm doing Joyride golf cart tours, and I've got these four ladies on the cart, and they were talking about being at the Opry last night, and it came up that they heard that song. And I was like, I wrote it. And they were like, no way. And we just started talking about it, and they were like, that's crazy. So they followed us online as well, along with Sandy and Adley, who follow us. So uh, Patty, Lori, Tracy, Rita, they don't know Sandy and Adley, but separately they reached out to me and they booked coming to the show as well, the Johnny Cash experience. Uh, Unfortunately, Rita couldn't make it, but it was good to see Patty, Lori, and Tracy and just have a few moments with all of these wonderful people after the show. It really did my heart good. So during the show, I had these two things going on in my head. I've got friends here that have seen me as a tour guide, and I've never performed for them. And so I'm kind of like, you know, I'm feeling it like, I want to really, I want to do really good. Also, it's the sixth show, and all the suits are back, and I got to prove that I'm not only improving, that I'm, you know, consistent. Because they saw the first night, and I did okay that night. Remember, I was fired up about that. But um, now here it is, night number six, and I'll just say the whole night was unbelievable. Over 2,000 people in this place. When they cheered, it was like a roar coming back to hit us. If you've ever heard the old audio of Elvis or Johnny Cash or those guys playing the, uh, let's see, it was the Louisiana Hayride radio show in Shreveport. They're in Shreveport, Louisiana. Back in the 50s, a lot of these shows were recorded. The Louisiana Hayride was like the baby Grand Ole Opry. It was the second most listened to radio show back at that time. And uh, it, didn't, it didn't cover as much of America as the Grand Ole Opry did, but it covered the South, and it really launched the careers of Hank Williams, Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash. All those folks went from you know their humble beginnings to that show, eventually making it to the Grand Ole Opry. So there's all this good footage of the the hayride, and the whole reason I'm telling the story is the audience, the way it roars at this classic music, when I hear it on a CD or on a YouTube, if you're just listening on YouTube and you listen to those old scratchy recordings, it's just, it reminds me of, like what happens on stage every night with this Johnny Cash show reminds me of that. It, It gives me chills. Uh, it's not us. It's Johnny Cash. It's it's him. It's his music, and it's the nostalgia surrounding it. And then you put that many people in the room experiencing this, their reaction is just contagious and amazing. So I'm still amazed. I'm still moved by Johnny Cash's words and his singing. Uh, my favorite part of the tour, it's got to be the crowd. And I'm not just saying that. Like when you see the people and they're sitting there just a few rows in, I usually can't see past the first few rows. You can see some of these folks singing every word. 
to songs that not a lot of people know. I mean, there's some songs on the show, like all the hits are on the show, and then there's some songs that if you're a Johnny fan, you know, but if you're not, you probably wouldn't know. Well, when you see those true Johnny Cash fans, and they're just singing every song, it or every word, it's like, good Lord, this is, you can tell how moved they are, and I know how they feel, because I went to see this show that I'm in just a couple months ago, and I got emotional quite a bit watching it listening to Johnny speak, watching him sing on the big screen. He, this man had so much charisma and still does on the screen. It's, it's crazy. He just jumps off the screen. So the uh, let's see, another cool thing that happened. is Oh, we left Costa Mesa, and we made our way up to San Francisco where we had our first day off. So we had a day off in San Francisco, and I wandered all over that town. I mean, I dropped my bags in the hotel room and took off running right out the door by myself. I said, I want to see as much of this city as I can. And um, I just walked. I walked about 10 miles that day. Now, I had plenty of questions from from different people later that found out I did that. They're like, did you see all the homeless? Did you see all the poop? And, you might be surprised I said that. They say that there's feces on the sidewalks and it's really a gross city. And and I, I'd kind of forgotten that that's what the way San Francisco is described. I'd never been there. I, I didn't. Like, dude, I walked around all day. I went in China. I found myself in Chinatown. And you talk about Chinatown, man. You could have just put me in the middle of there and told me I was in China, and I would have not known the difference. I mean, for block after block, it was just Chinese everything. One cool thing I saw was a Chinese poster that had an American flag that said, Celebrate the Fourth of July. It was left over from the summer. I thought that was cool. But, I mean, I just thought the whole thing was interesting. I mean, they're, they have their own world. And you know what I was thinking about? I grew up, you know, and in, in, with... The mentality, like, if you move here, if you move to America, let's become American, learn English, you know, do the thing, all that stuff. And I, look, I'm not saying I'm not that or whatever, but I'm going to say I'm I'm backing off just, I, I well, let me put it like this. I empathize with people who get away from wherever they're from and come to this wonderful land of America. I still think it's wonderful. And they end up in this city. And they've got all these shops and all these stores and they sell all their goods. And what do they do? They look for each other. And they get this little community. And they all speak their language amongst each other. And they make their little Chinatown. Because I was thinking, that's what I'm doing. Every time I go into town, guess what I'm looking for? Fried chicken, biscuits burgers. I'm looking for what I recognize. I'm looking for what gives me comfort and reminds me of home. And I was like, if I was Chinese and just like showed up here, man, like I'd be in hog heaven, man. This would be awesome. So I really kind of liked it. I kind of liked seeing them do their thing. And I thought they were all, they're all happy and they were all happy. I was there too. I didn't buy anything. I was like, well, all I got to do is go to Walmart and I can get stuff y'all made. But <laughs> Anyway, so I moved on from that. But I was, t- I'm telling you, when I was walking through there, I was getting real hungry. And there wasn't a thing I wanted in Chinatown. And 
out right in the outskirts of it was this place called Sam's Pizza and Burgers. And it said top three burgers of all time or in the world or whatever. Just top three burgers. And I don't know what the other two were, but this little dive called my name the second I saw it. And there was like this skinny dude smoking a vape, setting up tables on the sidewalk, and it looked like a real dive. And it was like 1.30 in the afternoon. I'm thinking, that's kind of weird. He's just now opening. Is that what's happening here? So I walked up, and sure enough, he's like, yeah. He said, partner, I won't have the fryer going for about 20, 30 minutes. And I was like, okay, I'm starving now. But all right, I'll just keep walking around. I'll come back. Because I hadn't seen anything that called my name as much as that place. So I wandered around. Had a big old old school Pepsi sign on the door, you know. And, uh, man, I get back. This place was from the 1950s. And it here it is. And I go in. There's, like, newspaper articles about it. And it's you can see a few pictures of, of movie stars and stuff that have eaten there. And I'm like, all right, cool. All right, th- this, is, this is awesome. And I ordered a double burger. And this guy just goes to work. It's just me in this place. And there's boxes in the corner. And supposedly they make pizza, but I don't care because I just see this these juicy burgers being made. And I got the burger and the fry and a, and a Dr. Pepper. And man, I'm telling y'all, whew, I went home. So I know how them Chinese people feel in Chinatown because that's how I felt over there in Sam's Burger Joint. I was back in North Carolina on some back road, pulled off at a burger joint, a greasy spoon, and that guy, he made, he whipped me up the best burger I've had in I don't know how long. I'm trying not to eat bad on this, but daggone, when you start walking miles and you just start seeing stuff, like it's like it's really hard not to just live in the moment. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm caving to the moment. Whew, that was good. So anyway, I left there. I found my way down to, I was looking for, I'd heard about the Fisherman's Wharf. On my way there, I saw this place that said, uh, you know, tourists come in here, you know, and it was kind of like a tourist guide to San Francisco's storefront. So, of course, I went in there. And this guy now, he's from San Francisco. So he's like, well, what you really want to avoid is the Fisherman's Wharf. I said, oh, really? He goes, yeah, you need to go up in Chinatown and try this and start doing this and go over here and do this. He said, the locals, you know, do the local stuff, you know, and he's telling me all the local stuff. I'm like, all right, okay, okay. And I said, well, what's Fisherman's Wharf? Why should I avoid that? He said, ain't nothing but a tourist trap, man. It's a tourist trap. I was like, okay, well, thanks for the information. I walked out and I walked right to that Fisherman's Wharf. Because that is what I'm looking for. And I, I have to say, I'm a, I've been a tour guide for going on nine years. Okay? People get on the golf cart and they tell me they want the local stuff. They want the local tour. And I'm like, what am I supposed to take you to FedEx? Then stop off at Walgreens so I can pick up a prescription. And then we're going to go by, I don't know, Kroger, grab a few groceries. That's what locals do. That's what I. That's what we do. You didn't come here for that. You came to Nashville for country music, if not at least for like the culture of Nashville. And they go, well, that's what I'm saying. I want the locals. Like, no, no, no. We get out of here. We're going back to 
Pegram and Portland and Gallatin and Hendersonville and Franklin and Greenbrier. We're getting out of Nashville. We're going to the outskirts of town so we can do our running. And we're taking our kids through the drive-thru. And we're going to the coffee shop. And your town has 19 coffee shops, the town that you left to come here to Nashville. So I have to act like, oh, yeah, I'm going to show you all the local. But really, I am showing them the local stuff. That's where the tourists go. Music Row is local. You know what? Locals might go to that little dive bar, and that's cool. But Elvis recorded It's Now or Never right there at RCA Studio B, and there's a bus full of tourists going through it right now. And you want to see it. And people, I know they want to see it because they give me this local schmokel spiel. And then I get on, on Music Row, and I show them all the stuff the tourists are lined up to see. And next thing you know, their jaws are on the floor. What? Dolly Parton recorded Jolene right there? Yeah, that's what I've been trying to tell you. Yeah, I, I could have took you down there to the post office and showed you the local places. But no, I showed you where Elvis, the king of rock and roll, birthed out, you know, 22 hits. Exactly. Come on now, just trust the tour guide, okay? So when I go in the tourism place over here, I'm thinking I want to trust this guy, and he's dogging the touristy, the trap, tourist trap. I got to tell you, I went to the Fisherman's Dwarf, and it was unbelievable. It was the best part of the whole town. I walked around there. There were so many cool shops, and there was a view right there of Alcatraz and the Golden State Bridge. I mean, those are the two things I'm trying to find. And I saw them both standing there on the pier. And, you know, I'm walking around. Yeah, there's a merry-go-round. And sure, there's, you know, a Lids hat store and some of the chain places. But guess what? I like those places. I feel good going in somewhere that I know what I can, where I'm at, you know. I don't know, man. I just, I, I think... I think the local thing is a little bit overblown. I think what we're all looking for and what we all... It's touristy. There's populated places and people coming there for a reason. I mean, Broadway on Nashville is a perfect example. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, I want to get off Broadway. I don't want to stay on Broadway. You get them down there, they're about they're about to jump out of the golf cart just to go running down through it because they can't believe what they see. Hey, and it is a sight to see 48 bands playing all at once, all within 15 feet of each other. Don't tell me that's boring or not interesting because it's there's tourists there. That's why they're there. It's unbelievable. There's nowhere like it in the world. It's like the eighth wonder of the entire world. How you can stand next to this band and walk five feet and you can't even hear the band that you just stood next to because you hear the next one. Unbelievable. Some of the greatest musicians ever. I could rave and rave about this. But anyway, I've heard this over and over again as a tour guide. So I did what I wanted, and I'm glad I did because I got down to that Fisherman's Dwarf and had a great time. There was good restaurants down there, and there was a guy, which I didn't eat down there because I already ate Sam's. But there was a dude with a boat, and he said, $20, you can ride my boat, and I'll show you the sea lines. And I said, what? So I gave him $20. And uh, I waited a little bit, and he said there's a few other people we're waiting on. Well, two other people showed up, so there's three of us. And he said, okay, let's go. So we get on his little boat. I've wondered for a minute if it was a sailboat, because I was out on that. I'm not working for this guy on the sail, depending on the wind and all that crap. But no, it was a real boat. And so we get out there. It probably holds about 15 people, but it's a slow day. I'm not holding it against the guy. He's trying to make some money, 20 bucks. 
So he rides me around, and we get out there, and he drives right around the pier, and he said something about sea lions, and I was like, I don't think I've ever seen a sea lion. I can't even remember what one is. So we come around the corner, and there's a whole pile of them on the dock right next to the pier that I was standing on a few minutes ago. For free, I could have looked at them, but I didn't look down. I was looking out, you know, at the Golden State Ridge, but I didn't look down, so I totally missed them. Well, I paid $20, and this guy rode me around the corner, and there they were. And we looked at them for a few minutes, and they barked and did their thing, and, and he said that there used to be a whole bunch of boats in there. And the sea lions just came in after the earthquake of 1989. I don't know why, but they decided to move in then. And they started getting in the boats and sinking all the boats. So people decided we're going to have to get these sea lions out of there. And then somebody else stepped up and said, no, you ain't going to do that to the sweet little sea lions. So instead, they made them get the boats out of there. And so now the sea lions are laying all around on the docks where the boats used to park. And the boats are parked around on the other side. So I don't know how the sea lions know to hang out on this side, and the boats are by themselves on this side. I don't get it, but it seems like it worked out. And I did I did ask somebody. I was kind of joking, but I, I was curious what reaction I get. I asked somebody later on that day if they knew a place I could get a sea lion burger. And that is not a good question to ask in San Francisco. I'll tell you that much. So um, got a little eye roll there. All right, so moving on, um, just spent the rest of the day. It got dark, um, decided to do a bus tour. I run across one of them double-decker buses, and I got on the top of that thing and rode all over town, up and down the hills. I had walked a lot of them already and went across, did not go across the Golden State Bridge, went across a different bridge and saw the city and just had a good time, man. The, those tours are awesome. Put little headphones on, you know, listen to them, talk about it. Turns out that Chinatown in San Francisco is the most densely populated neighborhood west of Manhattan. Out of all the neighborhoods west of Manhattan, you got to get to Chinatown in San Francisco to find the most densely populated one. Isn't that wild? So I just thought that was crazy, and I had just walked around in there. So I got back down to that fisherman's dwarf, and then I went in one of those things where you do a fly over San Francisco, but you sit in a theater. I did it by myself. I just sat in this theater and paid them $14, and they turned it on. And I flew over San Francisco in this thing, you know, not for real, just 3D, whatever it is. It was unbelievable. Like, this guy's dogging this. The guy at the tourist place is dogging this experience I'm having. I'm having the best day of my life. Yeah, oh, look, it's not the best day of my life. That's an exaggeration. I was thinking all day long, I wish Amy and the kids were here. Now, I did walk 10 miles, and they wouldn't have been able to do that. Amy could have, but that wouldn't have worked out. So I don't know. I, I basically did the. I did what I do in cities. I'll usually end up in a city before they do, and I'll scout it all out, and then I'll pick out what's worth doing. And then when we're together... Some other time down the road, we will be in that city, and I'll go boom, 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 and I'll know what to do. And it's so much fun when I can do it first and then bring them in as their tour guide. That really works for our relationship. So Amy enjoys that too because she doesn't she doesn't love the adventure of the hiking around and the unknown. She's a little nervous about that kind of stuff. Well, I get out of that 
little movie theater thing where I flew around in a 3D way, you know, around San Francisco. And I'm standing there, and I'm two miles from the hotel, and it's 10 o'clock. And I've heard all kinds of warnings throughout the day. Hey, watch out for this, watch out for that, homeless and crime. And I'm just like, man, I don't want to pay for an Uber. I've spent money today, and I'm still in the mood to just walk and be independent, not rely. I'm so sick of, like, that's the thing, the negative thing on the on the tour is I'm just so reliant upon other people to get me here and get me there and call in an Uber, and you got to wait on, you know, Jose or whatever, and then he gets there and he drives you around. I feel like this is becoming a racist podcast. I don't mean to. I just, that's first name. as the last name of the guy who drove me around, Okay. Okay, Charlie. I'll come up with that guy. We'll just say that name. Charlie. I just don't... I'm tired of being drove around, and I want to drive, or I want to walk. That's how I live. I do it myself. And if I want to stop, I stop. I don't have to ask them, man, you mind pulling over here? You know, I don't want to do that, and I don't want to pay money. So I just started walking back, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to go back how I came. I'm cutting right through Chinatown. They liked me earlier. I liked them. Ain't no reason why I shouldn't go back through there. And I'm going to tell you what, friends. I didn't see any of the things that I was supposed to be seeing, all the nasty stuff. I thought it was a wonderful city, a beautiful city. It was a little chilly. And I started thinking, maybe I'm not seeing this stuff because it's kind of cold outside. I did see one homeless guy light a little fire behind a bush. He kind of lit it when I was walking back. It startled me a brief, briefly. But I saw, I kind of respected it. I was like, ah, he's got a good spot. So I just kept going on. Nobody bothered me. And as I walked those two miles, I saw other, like, just women walking sometimes, like, from the grocery store. Not street walking women. Just, you know, people. And I was like, if if she can do it, I'm fine. And I would look on behind my back sometimes. I was a little nervous. Like, ah, you know, I'm... I can't be too confident, right? But it was no big deal. And I got back to the hotel, and it made me think how much of the way we go through life is just the way we see it. It's what are you looking for? I wasn't looking for the homeless or the negatives or the turds in the sidewalk. I wasn't looking for the negatives. I was so happy to be free, and so excited about the adventures of the city that I didn't see anything but good things. The food I ate might not have been that good, but maybe because I was so convinced that it was going to be great, that it checked the box. And maybe so much of my life has become that way that even this podcast, some of these stories... I, they feel kind of basic sometimes. Like, yeah, this. What am I telling this? All these details for? I don't know because I just can't believe it. It's happening to me. I can't believe I got to walk around that town and have that much fun. And so the next day, it's funny. I started looking for this stuff. Went around the corner and there it was on the on the sidewalk. Nastiness. And it was funny how when I looked for it, I saw it. And I wonder how much of it, I, by God, I hope I stepped around it. I better not have stepped in any of it. But 
Anyway, it is true that that city has issues, but like all cities, there's pros and cons. And and I've done it in New York in the past six months. I've walked all over that city by myself late at night, early in the mornings. I've done it in San Francisco now. Um, I've done it in, in Costa Mesa. I did it quite a bit when I was down there. We were down there for two days. I mean, I just, all these warnings I keep getting, I think if you turn off the news and just go visit these towns, you'll find that they're not much different than when you walk down to Broadway on Nashville and you walk back to your car. Yeah, every now and then somebody's going to get picked off. But for the most part, we're all going to be fine. <laughs> just play it the numbers game. So we left San Francisco and we made it to Yakima. And we did, like I said, we did the Yakima show. We got another one tomorrow night. Oh, today was crazy because... Me and Debbie, Miss Debbie Horton, had to go down and do a Rotary Club interview. I was like, what? She asked me, can you go with me? I don't know. It's what? Rot- what is Rotary Club? I mean, it sounds like a phone, like rotary dial. I don't even understand what that is. She's like, oh, they're just going to ask a few questions about the show, and they want two people, and the other guy who was supposed to go can't because he's part of the sound crew, and he's setting up. Uh, okay, well, I guess I, I guess I'll do it. So we go down, we get picked up by this guy, and he takes us down there. Again, see what I'm saying? There's always somebody picking us up. You always got to ride with them. I'm in the back. So I'm used to driving. I'm gonna tell one of these guys, get out of the way. Let me drive. Just tell me where it is. But anyway, I rode with this guy. We get down there, and we walk in this fancy place. There's like 150 people, a big food spread, and we're in. Here we are in Yakima, Washington, and by the way, all these white people. It's what it seems like, just a bunch of white people up here in in Washington State. And I think up here is where Rambo was walking through a town somewhere. I'm going to have to look up what town that was. But, you know, I'm kind of—I got to be careful walking around here. A cop might pull up and ask me questions like they did with Rambo that time. We don't do good with your kind around here. So, anyway, I get— up on this stage with Debbie and there's all 150 people and they're looking at me and looking at her and this guy starts asking us all these real professional questions like an interview. That's what it is. Not like one. It was one. And he asked her a question and he'd ask me a question. Her and me. And man, I had the best time sitting there telling him how I ended up on this show and just kind of talking like I am now, you know? And, uh, Talking about, they asked me, what is, what's it like to be on a tour bus with 11 people? I said, well, I don't know. I, I've been on a in a truck with my wife and two kids and two dogs and two cats in the last few months, all driving all over America on tour. So, I mean, this is pretty easy compared to that. They laughed. So, I, I, I had a good time with them. And and Miss Debbie was great. She told her stories and Johnny Cash stuff and and uh, it just turned out to be a really great experience, and I I loved it. I was like, man, I can't believe this. I honestly can't believe it. What am I doing? How did I get to this moment right here? I, it's crazy. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Now I need to be praying to him more, and I need to be reading this Bible more. I'm going to admit that to y'all because I have been so busy and rushing around, and my mind is just crammed with exciting thoughts and and then when it's over, I just want to like deaden my brain with Frasier or Indiana Jones. 
trying to get caught up on the Indiana Jones series. And I don't have, like, the only time I have to talk on the phone, I call my wife and I talk to her and the kids twice a day. Um, usually that's the way it works out. And so I don't really have time to call anybody else. So if you're wondering, I'm sorry, I love you, but I'm going to take that chance to talk to my wife and kids. I'm not going to talk to everybody else. I just can't. I can't keep up. So, um, hey, God is good. America is beautiful. Chinatown's awesome. They're happy. I'm happy. I'm happy they're happy. All right. I didn't step in poop as far as I know. And the sound goes on and we played for a good crowd tonight. And so far I'm not I'm not remember I'm not forgetting stuff like I was a week ago. It's almost locked in, I think. I don't want to be too overconfident, but I'm loving the show and just happy to be here. On the cusp and off the cuff. Oh, one last thing. I meant to say this. The one thing that's been driving me nuts on this tour is automatic flushing. What is going on with the automatic flushing? I mean, I'm still sitting here. Why am I getting a shower all of a sudden? Just come on, man. I'm not moving. I just scratched my ankle. Next thing you know, this thing's spraying me down. Automatic flushers, they're so sensitive. Can you not leave something in our control? I mean, can I get up and hit the own flush, you know, put my boot up there and and, and kick the thing, you know? I, that's what I want to do. I'm tired of this thing just going off randomly, just splashing all over me. Gosh, what's in the splash? What's in the droplets? This is terrible. That's worse than walking through San Francisco, and it happens in just any old fancy restaurant, which I don't go to. So I, I think we're talking about Target or Walmarts. They got them now. It drives me nuts. All right, I'm out. I promise. See you next week. Bye.